Good morning. This is my Jewish family up here. They're my props. Um, we're going to be talking about Jewish wedding today. Um, the Jewish uh, culture is just rife. It's full. It's full of ceremonies and rituals and feasts and um, you name it. And a lot of times we miss what Scripture is saying because we don't know what those are. We don't know what's involved. Uh, we don't know all the parts that there are to it. Um, when, when Jim brings up a, a, a lesson and talks about some movie, oh, we get the analogy because we've seen that movie. Well, we don't know the ceremony. So when someone brings it up in a verse and it's not directly saying this is about the wedding, we're just sort of glance over it and like, oh, okay, whatever. I don't really understand what that means. So... Um, all the picturesque language and everything else that's there, I'm going to put, try to put as much as I can together. I usually teach this in six lessons, trying to squeeze it into a half hour. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go fast and hang on, and we're going to get through uh, the Jewish wedding, talk about the Jewish part, and you're all going to read the verses that are pr- that how that uh, applies to us as a church. Okay, what does that have to do with us? In the Jewish weddings made up of basically three parts. We would kind of consider it four. When we think of a wedding, you think of the ceremony, reception, okay? Jewish wedding or Eastern weddings was everything involved. It was the preparation right before the wedding. When you're trying on your dress, when you're preparing the food, when the cake is being made and all these things are being done, that's part of the wedding. When uh, all marriages were arranged. When that was put together, that was part of the wedding. That may be a year or more from the ceremony, but it was part of the wedding. Uh, the, the engagement period was part of the wedding, and there were roles that were to be played all during this time. And when Scripture talks about these things, all those parts are included, and a lot of times it refers to something about us. There are hundreds of times that either directly or indirectly allude to the Jewish wedding when it's talking about Scripture. Lots of them, lots of them in the New Testament. And a lot of times we miss that. So we're going to talk about that. The first section is, is called the Sheet of King. This is, this is the matching. Sheet of King means tranquility, peace. Two families are getting together. The father of the, of the groom, the father of the bride normally will get together and they will make this arrangement. Here's my, here's my daughter, here's your son. What are the arrangements we're going to make? What's, there's a price to be paid for the bride. The pri- bride is going to, a productive member of her household is now going to be a productive member of somebody else's household. What, what is bringing them together? That the, the families may have an animosity between one another. They may have uh, a need. The family, the bride may have a financial need. Whatever the reasons for bringing them together, they come together and they make these arrangements. And, and that time, that matching is called the Sheet of King. Um, James 4 and Ephesians 2. James 4. Um, ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that the friendship of the world is Therefore will be a friend of the world as the enemy of God. And Ephesians 6.14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and both broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So... There's this peace, when you come to be saved, there's this peace that God is making because we are not his friend. We're enemies of God. And so he makes this peace, and that's what's being arranged. The different, I took, just took a few of the aspects, the 
more important aspects of that matching and what goes on. The first one, it's always initiated by the father. This was a cultural thing. You'll see in scripture a lot of times where uh, someone says, Dad, go, go get me this woman. He, it's not that he's a wimp and he can't deal with women. It was a cultural thing. The father always started the process. And he does that with us. Uh, the father of the groom. The father of the groom. Um, John 5.30 and John 5.44. As I can do nothing on my own, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. When you were saved, the Father sent Jesus, the Father of the groom. He sent Jesus to come make the arrangements. He also drew you. He put the two of you together to make this match, just like they did in the wedding, where the fathers come together and they, they match up the two of you. Then, uh, a lot of times, you might have an, a situation where, like Abraham, he wanted a son from his family way back uh, in his old home too far away to travel, so he would use an agent. He'd use somebody in his place that he trusted. And that's what God does for us. Um, who has Galatians 4 and, and John 16? So the Spirit is involved. When you come to Christ, the Spirit is also involved. That agent that God has chosen to come and, and make a difference in your heart, to convict you of sin, to, to pull you more towards saying, Jesus, that groom, that bridegroom, Jesus is the one that you need. He's the one that's going to complete you. Then, number three, the bridegroom's choice was important. Uh, a lot of times you see in Scripture where where a man would say, hey, I really like that woman, and would go to his dad say, dad, can you go do that? And he'd make the arrangements. Sometimes they'd go back to the groom and they'd say, here's what we want to do. And a lot of times his choice was very important in this decision. Um, what kind of choice did Jesus have? Was this all by the Father? Was this all by the Spirit that was done? It was not. Um, John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He chose us. When the bridegroom chose the bride, he had a big say in it. It made her feel wanted, desired. And that was very important. Same thing for us. It wasn't just some random thing where we decided, eh, why not? He chose you. All three of the Trinity were involved in you coming to Christ. And it's all displayed in the whole Jewish wedding ceremony. All three are involved. It's not like uh, some show, go ahead, American Idol or something where the judges are all trying to say, well, I would prefer this one. No, how about this one? Well, they all agreed and you were chosen. All three members of the Trinity in unity. Um, then what kind of effort is, does the bridegroom put forth? What kind of effort is he going to show that... Uh, that he really loves that person. He really wants that person because actions speak louder than words, right? So next one, John um, 6.38. For I have come down from heaven, 
not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He came down from heaven. The God who created everything made himself in the image of a baby that he can live hampered and hindered by hum humanity so that he would suffer, he would be rejected, he would die for you. That was effort. That was a show of love. And a lot of times in the wedding you see that. You see the, the groom being willing to go out of his way to do something to show that he loves him. And Jesus went out of his way to show that he loved us. Then um, number five. After everything is agreed to, every, every, after these two, two fathers are, are making the arrangements, they're agreeing upon a price, they're agreeing upon promises, all these things that they've agreed, agreed to, they put down in a contract. I got a couple copies of current Jewish marriage contracts. You can pass around, look at. Um, they're not filled in, they're blank, they're all kinds of different ways. They're, they're always written in Aramaic, even today. Um, it has all these promises, it has all these, uh, the price agreed upon, anything that's done over what period of time, it has the date that it was signed. It does not have the date of the future ceremony. It does not have any promises by the bride. It does not have any payments by the bride's family. It is all done by the groom and the father of the groom. And that's what our contract says. It says everything that he has done, everything that he has promised, the price that he has paid, the promises for you. There is no date. There is no idea of when that future contract is going to be fulfilled. It's not written in. But it's all there, just like this contract would show. Same thing. Then number six, when we get done and we do a contract, a lot of times what we do at the end of contract is we'll, we'll shake hands saying, oh, this is a good contract. But that wasn't good enough. A handshake cost nothing. So these two would get together and they would do a toast. A toast was made. First uh, Corinthians 11.25. Who has that? After the same manner, he also took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. This shows commitment. This costs something. A handshake is free. This costs something saying, we're sitting down, these two fathers, we're sitting down, and we're agreeing to everything in this contract. And someone's going to be paying for this, saying, I'm committed to it. I'm willing to go through with it. Every time you do communion, just like the disciples in the upper room, you're sitting down, you're saying, I agree with this contract. I agree with the price that was paid for me. I agree with the promises in it. And you're toasting to that, uh, showing your affirmation of it. Then finally, the bride's consent. Contract may be already written, signed. Um, um, toast may be done. Bride may never been there. Usually a formality. Her consent was kind of moot most of the time. But there was a practice of going to the bride and getting her to um, consent to this. She may not have been a part of the negotiation. She may not even have seen the groom. She may not have a clue who he is. She may not have a clue of where she's going. She may know nothing about him. But she has made a commitment and it is important to her family. And she recognizes this. Um, 
What's that do to us? Who has First Peter? You have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see, you do not see him now, but you believe in him. And so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. People don't understand that aren't believers the joy that we have in this Savior that we've never seen, that we've never physically met. But you have that. And your decision that you made was very important to your family. It's important to everybody in this room, which is your family. It is now your family. And the importance of them, of you saying yes and your consent, means they are more complete also. Once that is done, we come to the Kedashin. Kedashin is the betrothal period. Kedashin means sanctified, set apart. This is the time of engagement. Everything has been, everything has been done as far as the contract is concerned. So what happens next? Well, several things happen. The bride has been set apart for the use and the glory of her husband. You've been set apart for the use and glory of Jesus Christ. Correct? Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you one husband, and I may present you as a chaste virgin to God. You've been betrothed to Jesus Christ. Um, a lot of these verses, every time I've read them in the past, not understanding the wedding, I was like, I don't really get that. What's the point of that? Um, so I'm trying to put this together for you. So what happens during this engagement period, this betrothal? Several things that I picked out. There's a thing called the mohar. It's the bride price. The price that was agreed that the father of the groom is going to pay the father of the bride or his family. His family, the groom's family, pays the bride's family. Um, the mohar was always paid by the father to the bride's family or to their father. Who has uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19? You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You were not redeemed. You were not bought. You were not purchased with silver and gold, money, any of these things. It was the blood of Christ. The verse we all know, John 3, 16. For God the Father so loved the world that He, the Father, gave His Son. He paid the price. The price was the blood of Christ. But the Father paid it. Um, there's several gifts that are given during this time. We think of weddings. Uh, oh, I've got to go to another wedding. I've got to get another gift. This was a gift. The Father didn't have to pay this price. This was a gift. Matan is a type of gift. It's always paid from the father of the groom is the one who pays it to the bride's family or the bride's father. There's several other gifts that I talk about I'm not going to deal with, but I'm going to talk about one more. That's Matan. Um, that was a mohar that the father, if I said that wrong, that was the mohar that the father of the groom um, pays. The Matan is paid by the groom. It's paid directly to the bride. It is a love gift, an agape gift, a gift to show his love for her, that he cares for her. Um, numerous scripture talks about specific gifts that Jesus himself is the author of. He is the one that gives them. It says, I give 
like I give you eternal life. Another one, John 14, 27. Who has that? I leave you peace. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world does. So don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. He gives us peace. He is that author. It is what we get from him as a love gift, as a matan. Um, after gifts are exchanged, other gifts are exchanged. I talk about that in my lesson uh, that I usually teach. Um, after the, all the gifts are exchanged, one thing happens. It's very foreign to us. And that's that the groom, he leaves. He goes back to his home. And he goes to prepare a place for his bride, where they're going to live. She's leaving her home. Uh, John 14, 2, who has that? He goes to prepare a place for us. And this is, this is so foreign in, in our concept to us. Um, when my family got a, a chance to go and serve in Israel for a couple of months, um, right before we got there, there were three African Muslim men that were showing up for an English as a second language class, and they were reading through and got to this verse, and one of the guys says, that sounds just like the wedding in our country. And the teacher knew. He said, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. Christ paralleled his coming and leaving, coming back to this wedding process. And, and that, in explaining that, that day, those three Muslim men accepted Christ as their Savior. Um, have no clue where they're at. I got to work with one over the next couple of years. Um, my suspicion is that he's dead. Um, um, last time I was there, he was preparing to go back home to Africa because he had to tell his family and his people, who were all Muslim, who Jesus was. It makes a difference. This will speak to a lot of people in a lot of different countries because they understand that process. We kind of miss that. Um, then there's several things. While he's away building this house, preparing their home, what's the bride doing? She, she does several things. Several things are involved. Several things are involved with us. Um, one, the bride is cleansed. She's washed. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you that you were washed, you were sanctified, that you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's a physical process that took place, a physical bathing that indicated a spiritual reality. The same thing happens with us. There's a spiritual reality that takes place. Baptism doesn't cleanse us. It gives us a picture of what happened. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God that cleanses us and washed us. And it says, um, she said, and such were some of you. What were you? You were idolaters. You were adulterers. You were thieves. You were cheats. You were liars. You were all these things. And God cleansed you from that. He washed you. And there's this washing that takes place. For the bride. She wants to be pure. It's a one time only. He may not come for a year or more. Come back. One time only. And she is washed to symbolize that she's being made pure for her bridegroom. What else does she do? Um, what are we on? Number five. The bride was to be faithful. Well, why is that such a hard thing? I mean, she's getting married. That that should be easy, right? Well, how long is it going to be? She has no clue. 
She's not giving any hint. There are going to be guys coming along saying, hey, you, you are really a sweet thing, and this guy's a bum not to come back. He's not coming back. Look how long it's been. And, and men would literally go to these brides that were promised and say, uh, he's not coming. I could do much better for you. I could provide for you much better. I mean, you're going to be embarrassed when we're going to just wait forever. And they would try to woo her away from that which she was promised. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.2. You all know this verse. Who has that? Moreover, it is required in stewards that one may sound faithful. Faithful for what? What are we supposed to be faithful for? This isn't just talking about money. I mean, we could take a list as long as your arm and write all the different things that try to pull us away from Christ. Everything out there in this world and Satan and our flesh do everything they can to pull us away from Christ, to keep us from being faithful. And Christ is looking for us to be faithful for his return, for when he comes back, because he is coming back. Which brings us to the next one, number six. The bride would be watchful for the bridegroom's return. She'd be eager, even though she may never met him. She's excited. This is going to be the rest of her life. This now defines her life, what is coming up, not what is past. It is new. And we are to do the same thing. Matthew 24, 42 says, Therefore stay alert because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. Stay alert. Be watchful. Be watching for him. Be eager and excited. Are you excited about him returning? It'd be great if it was today. It'd be great if it was right now. In any case, since it's not, we're going to keep going. Be ready. That's the next thing. Number, number seven. The bride was to be prepared or ready. Matthew 24, 44. What's that say? Therefore you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Why is that so important? I'm going to mention that in just a couple minutes in the next section. It's the, you remember the parable of the ten virgins and five of them be ready. Five of them have an oil and five of them not. It's talking about this process. Why was it so important? He'll just wait. That's what, that's what a, a good groom would do, right? Not in Jewish culture. That was not the, the way it was done. There, we have stories, not in Scripture, but we have stories that are written where the bridegroom came and the bride wasn't ready, so he left. He was shamed. We are to be ready prepared, excited about what's coming. Um, brings us to the Nisuin. Nisuin means elevated. Jewish, Jewish people believe that you are not complete until you're married. This was the most joyous occasion of any Jewish activity in Jewish life, was the wedding. Very important. And God intended for everybody to be married. In Jewish eyes. Okay? That's how it was. So they weren't complete until they were married. This ceremony, this whole process was a very important thing to them. The ceremony technically begins here. In reality, in our culture, we would say, well, 
no, not yet, not until they start walking down the aisle, right? Uh, while they're getting the cake and running, getting their their tuxedos and everything else and have to go back because some don't fit right. And that's not the, the ceremony. But that was the ceremony. Every part of that, getting ready that day, everything that was going on was part of that ceremony. Important things. Uh, the father sends the son to get his bride. It's how it starts. Um, this was a practical thing. Somebody read 13, Mark 13, 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Clear reference to the Jewish wedding. It says this, Jesus is talking, says not even the son knows. In the Jewish wedding, the son here probably has more of one focus on his mind about what the, the marriage is going to bring than, than others. This young, vibrant young man is looking forward to something. He's going back to fix his house. His desire is, to, let's just throw something together and I'm going to go get her. And the father says, no, 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 no. He's been with a woman for a few years, hopefully a few years. He kind of knows what a woman wants, what she's expecting, what would be good. He can't, he can't stop doing all of his other responsibilities and duties. They still go on. So it may be a year or more before he comes back. But at one point in our lives, we get back to us. The father is finally going to say, son, go get your bride. And that's what we're looking forward to, right? I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be an exciting time. I don't know what he's waiting for, but I'm looking forward to that moment. So the son returns to the bride's home. He doesn't go in. He doesn't even go up to the door. This was a cultural thing. Um, he would come. He may travel from far away to come to her home. He gets to her home, and all these things, process starts. But he doesn't go in. What, what does it say about um, John 14, 3? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He's coming back. He's promised. Do you hold him to that promise? Look forward to it. He is coming back. When he comes back, these next several things happen in succession. When the bridegroom would come back, it starts when he gets back to the city or the outskirts of the home of the bride. It always started with a shout. I don't know about you. Um, it was less startling. <laughs> if everything, most weddings happened at night because you have the reception and everything else, you want people to attend. They can't give up their duties. They can't stop feeding the sheep. They can't stop tending their crops during the day to attend this wedding. You want these people to come, so you have this thing at night. People go to bed when it gets dark. If you were in bed and you heard a trumpet sound, is that going to be a problem for you? My wife laughs at me all the time because every once in a while we may go to bed early and I'll go out and then somebody sends a text and I jump out of bed thinking i got to get ready for work. And I start like, wait a minute, what's going on? I can just see some older people and they hear these trumpets and oh, oh they're attacking Wait, what is that? So the shout, the little little bit of noise starts coming. The bridegroom is coming! 
I don't know what the shout is. That's normally what they would say in the wedding. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16a. Okay, stop there. He'd come down with a loud command, with a shout. What is that? I don't know what they're saying. But he continues. What follows is the groom also when he's coming. Not You just don't hear the shout. It's not... You don't necessarily, it's not necessarily him, but there's an entourage with him. The groom comes with an entourage, a wedding party, a best man. The best man will probably be there. Um, continue reading whoever's got that. And with the trumpet call of God and the dead... Go back to the beginning, please. Sorry. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel... Stop. The voice of the archangel. That's... That's the entourage. Is it one angel? I don't know. What's he going to be shouting? Who's going to be shouting it? Hey, get up here in Hebrew. I don't know. Um, come. Maybe it's the voice of the angel singing when he came the first time. Maybe that's the loud noise that, that is heard. The loud command that is heard. I don't know. We're going to hear this. This was all part of the wedding. This is a part, something that we're supposed to expect. And uh, finish out that verse. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven as the last man with the voice of Archangel, and the trumpet call of God. And then there's that trumpet that we hear the trumpet sound, the trumpet blasts, and it announces the day has arrived. It's time, it is here. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says the same thing. What's that? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. That trumpet sounds, and poof, we're out of here. That's exciting. Something else about the uh, this taking, the Nisuin. The bride is stolen. That was a, a sense of romanticism to the Jewish people. The bride was going to be taken away. Her prince charming is coming to sweep her off her feet. Um, there was a sense of romanticism about it. Brides, Jewish brides loved this thought of him coming and taking her to something more glorious, something more wonderful. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.17 First part of it, please. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's good. We're going to be caught up with him. That's where we get the word rapture. Um, a lot of times people will say, well, it, it comes directly from the Greek, Greek word for rapture, which it doesn't. Um, either they're mistaken or, or they're just trying not to explain the whole thing to you because it's from the Latin word for rapture. It's not the Greek word for rapture. The Greek word here is harpazo. It's where we get the word harpoon. How many would be excited about one day he's coming to harpoon us? No? Nobody. Um, it means literally to snatch up, uh, to take away quickly. That's what the word means. And so someday she would be stolen. Someday we will be stolen. 
We will be taken. We will be harpooned. Raptured. The bride then goes out to meet the groom. That's why she had to be ready. She couldn't say, hold on, I need to pack first. He wouldn't say, hold on, I'll help you. He's not waiting. She was to go out to him. When Jesus comes back for us, he's not coming to the earth. When he comes back to the earth, he comes in power. He comes in judgment to judge the earth. It says when he lands on the earth at that time, the ground will split from the power that he represents. But when he comes for, for the church, when he comes for us, he, we meet him in the air and we go up to him. Finish that verse. Or do the whole verse. After that, we, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Thank you. Then we finish off real fast. Um, the expected glory. This is the formal ceremony. Um, formal Jewish ceremony. The bride and the groom, they're arrayed in jewels in crowns, in beautiful robes, very expensive stuff, stuff that may be given to them, stuff that is loaned to them, all kinds of different things. Uh, when we went, Trish and I went to Israel, we got a chance to see a henna. Henna is a pre-wedding ceremony that still has this, this type of thing. It's where the families will, will dress them in all these flowing robes and crowns and jewels, and they will come out and present them. And that's what we get to experience when we get there we get to experience that same glory that he just shares a little bit with us. The ones that he picked and chose before the foundation of the world. And we get to share that glory. I'm not going to go through all of them for time. I had a feeling I wouldn't get through this. There are five, five crowns that are listed in Scripture. Um, imperishable crown, crown of rejoicing, crown of righteousness, crown of life, in the crown of glory. It talks about we will gain these crowns for various things. You can come and check the notes or check them on Jim's website. Um, all these crowns, it talks about that in Revelation 4.4. Around, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And what they do in the following verses is they lay them back at his feet. Says the, the final thing there, the crowns are returned. Because we realize he did the work. He deserves the glory. He shares it with us. He shares, we're dressed in robes. It says in Revelation 19, these robes that are bright, shining, illuminous, glorious, that we will be dressed in. We will get a little bit of that glory that Jesus does. Then they have a feast. They have a celebration. That feast is talked about in uh, Revelation 19 too. Revelation 19, 6 through 9 talks about that. Um, talks about this feast that's going on during the tribulation where the church is having this feast with God, with Jesus. A celebration. Before the foundation of the world, he made this, this choice that we were going to be together. And it is finally here. And we're going to celebrate that event 
the bride and the bridegroom coming together. What a glorious thing that's going to be. Um, many speculate it will take the entire seven years of the tribulation. Uh, a feast, um, um, most common Jewish wedding feasts were seven days. You see that in, in Judges chapter 14 with Samson. It was a very common practice. That didn't mean for 24-7. That meant every night after everybody's done with all their chores, you all get together and you celebrate. Seven continuous days. Um, I think for that same reason, it'll probably be that full time. That's my personal opinion. Um, we can talk about that if you want to at a later time. And then our future. Um, they would go off. They would have a bright and glorious future together. Um, they would live with each other forever. He read in Revelation 4.17, And thus we shall always be with the Lord. There's no indication, no hint of some future separation. No hint of some future time when we will not be together. You're going to be over here for a while. I'm going to be over here. We're always going to be with Jesus, our bridegroom. Re Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold the tabernacle, the dwelling place, his living residence. Behold the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. That's our future. Glorious future. Exciting future. A future that is set in stone. A future that is founded on a rock. That rock's name is Jesus. Jesus is our bridegroom, our promised one, our bride price, our love, our home preparer, our soon coming king. He's our perfect match. That's the Jewish wedding. And that's the focus for us, is that bright future. Thank you. Appreciate your time.